As a proud supporter of Parkinson's UK, the Focus on Why podcast is supporting this charity by including their Time for Can campaign in this episode. Can't work, can't walk, can't taste, can't talk, can't move, can't eat, can't remember, can't sleep, can't finish, feel ashamed, can't smile through the pain, can't stop the voices, can't make it stop. Parkinson's, the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. There is no cure. Yet we can fund, can fight, can discover, can unite, can transform, can live, can change, can give, can slow, can stop, can reverse, can cure. We can do, but we can't do it without you. Parkinson's UK. Together we can find a cure. Donate now at parkinsons.org.uk. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question. Why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. I am joined today by Dan Kentsmith. Welcome to Focus on Why. Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Indeed it is. And we were just talking offline about the origins of your surname, which was fascinating. So I don't know whether you want to sort of share that with with people, because it is yeah. an interesting how a hyphened name appears. Yeah. So th- this is a, w- a lot of people will assume that uh, my wife is a Kent and I'm a Smith or the other way around. That, that wasn't the case. All my parents or my grandparents, this goes back to somewhere around 1750, 1760, uh, and as the story goes, there was uh, it was two two men, two friends, who uh, they were going to join the army, and so they wanted to be put into the same regiment, the same battalion. But to do that, they had to be family members. So uh, they then had to have the same surname. They couldn't decide one was a Kent, one was a Smith. They couldn't decide which one to take, so they put them together. One died in battle, and the other carried on the name out of honour. So the story goes. Um, how much truth is in that? I really don't know, but it's it's a very old name anyway. Well, it's it's there it's there for the story to be continued, regardless of its <laughs> truth or not. It's it's yeah. a good story to have. Uh, so you're, you may never know, but it's it's a good one to um, take on through the, yeah. the family lines. So let's talk about what it is you're up to at the moment, Dan. Yep. So at the moment, I'm uh, I'm a LinkedIn consultant, and I know there's a few LinkedIn consultants out there. Um, the slight difference, I guess, to, to me is that I used to work for LinkedIn. So I worked for LinkedIn for pushing on five years. Um, I, I worked in a department with marketing and analytics. So I had access to all the data, everything that you're doing on the platform I could see, uh, which meant we could find out how, how it works, how it works best for people, how it works best for companies. Uh, we would help people what we call rock their profiles. We would go through ad strategy, B2B ad strategy, all these kind of things. And I'd work with the marketing guys, the sales guys, PR and the leads of the various regions, really through data and analytics and marketing to really get the best from, from the LinkedIn platform. And now I can take that and use that in, in everyday life and help people like yourself and other clients, normal uh, execs, businesses, but also sports people and how they transition away from sport into a, into a new role. Um, it's not retirement. Can't say retirement from sport. That's an awful stigma around retirement. Retirement to me is when you've got very little left to offer. And these people have got a lot to offer, particularly because most of them are in their 30s from, from a lot of sports. 
And it's about understanding your transferable skills, how you make use of the LinkedIn platform to then find your next play, your next role. And it's really interesting you talk about the career transition for sportsmen and women because they, they can't actually really focus on what what's coming next whilst they're in their sport because then they're deemed as not taking it as seriously as they should be. So it is quite a steep cliff to go from one to the other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a really, it's a fundamental problem where uh, I'm hearing from, from coaches, from managers that... Uh, they're discouraging people from even talking about what their next role may look like. Now, there's always going to be a slight fear factor in a physical sport that, um, boom, that's it in training, in a game, one injury, you're in your 20s, and that's it, you're out, you're done. So someone said to me that I said, I've got a theory that actually if you do have a second role working in the background, then you can relax a little more when you're on the pitch or when you're doing your sport. And actually, you could be a better sports person just because you don't have the worry of, well, what happens if, if I get injured and I've got nothing else to do? So having something else in the background, a plan B that's working for you, a hobby as well, you know, something that you really enjoy doing, there, there might be something in this that actually proves that people will be better at their sport when they got that in their, in their locker. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the angle that I'm coming from. That's a great one. And how did LinkedIn take it that you're now a consultant on the, about their platform? Do they have a problem with you doing that? No, absolutely not. I'm I'm still I'm preaching what's good about LinkedIn. I'm getting more. So here's the thing, right? Um, when people talk about LinkedIn, they talk they always talk about the algorithm. Tell me more about the algorithm. I've got to know the algorithm. And I say actually, you don't really need to know the algorithm. What you need to know is how does LinkedIn make money. If you can appreciate how they make money, then you can understand how it is that you can get the best from the platform. So, I mean, there's three main areas. There's uh, there's hiring, marketing, and selling. They're the three key departments in LinkedIn. HMS, HMS LinkedIn is like a battleship. Uh, don't worry about the hiring. That's the recruitment side of things. Don't worry about the selling. That's the sales navigator side of things. But the marketing, that's where the ads sit. Whether it's a text ad at the top or a standard MPU or sponsored content, in-mails and whatever else. The only way you can sell advertising on the platform is by having the likes of you and me on the platform looking at stuff. So the platform's got to be as attractive as possible and work for, for us to entice us in to then say, oh, yeah, actually, I want to see more, I want to look at more. So then you start appreciating that the more time you spend on the platform, the more it's got to work for you, the more advertising they can sell against it. So this is where you kind of come all the way around and say, okay, now in that's, if that's the case, then LinkedIn will always talk about members first. Members first is they don't do anything unless it's in the interest of the, of the uh, people who are the members. The kind of subtle truth behind that is if they didn't do it for the good of the members, they can't sell advertising against it. And this is the department I worked in. So to come all the way back to that, I'm helping people go onto the platform, spend more time on the platform, which means LinkedIn can sell more advertising space against it. So actually, they actively encourage this kind of stuff. Perfect. Well, Pretty long-winded answer. To no, no, no. It's just good to know. It's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of companies, you know, once you're, you move on and they sort of hold you back and say, well, you can't do this, you can't say this, and, you know, you signed your NDA and all of that. But I guess, as you say, you're actually advocating the platform and encouraging and driving people to use it more. So they're, they're not going to have a problem with that. Who knows? Maybe it would be different if I, uh, if I talked about all the negatives and started 
saying how great Facebook was. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> ever go down that platform anyway. But, you know, it could be different. So how have you seen LinkedIn change over the years? So it's it's developed a lot. Now, what you'll find, actually, this is a really good question, because where Facebook leads with their innovation, LinkedIn often look very slow to to a to adapt. Um, a good example, actually, LinkedIn Stories, just coming out at the moment. Um, not everyone's got it. Have you got it? Yes, I have. Yep. So not everyone has it at the moment. It's being rolled out gently over the next few months. Uh, LinkedIn Stories, of course, is new to LinkedIn, but you've got Facebook Stories, Insta Stories, and they've been around for quite some time. So LinkedIn will look at these and think, can we do this in more of a business setting? Will this be a good function to add for our members? Will it add something for them? And, and again, the flip side is because if it does, they spend more time on the platform to sell more advertising. But that's the that's the approach. So there's been a, a gentle change to the platform. Um, there's a change to the look and feel of it, which has come through recently. And part of that, I think, is driven by the fact that Jeff Weiner, who's the CEO of LinkedIn, stepped down in uh, the end of May. And a new guy, Ryan Roslansky, who was the former SVP of product, is now the, the CEO. Coming from the product background, he's bound to make some fairly fundamental changes, one of which is the look and feel, two is LinkedIn story. There's going to be some other bits. They're putting more money behind groups again. So there's those things coming through. The biggest change is when, when I started there, it was still partly considered a jobs platform. But today, it's a, it's a business content hub. That's really what it is. So people go there to learn something. They go there to teach something. They go there to network with like-minded people. There's, uh, actually when, I, when I was at LinkedIn, there was six times more content than there, than there were jobs, which is a huge number, really. So when people say to me, yeah, it's still a jobs board, actually it's not, it's developed so much more than that. This is where you can future-proof your career, really. This is where you can set things in motion to get your next role. So that's, that's really the biggest change that I've seen. And we're talking about storytelling and the advent of now having LinkedIn stories. I've had quite a few guests talk about storytelling in different medium and, and, they're, and they've shared what they do and, and why storytelling is so important. How is it that LinkedIn can share these stories now? How they can share the stories in terms of their their process or how they're, they're developing or as a, as a function, as a tool on the platform? All of those elements. I, actually, I've written a few blogs around storytelling. Um, and one of the key things to storytelling is when, when actually I convey a story, it's more powerful than just giving you numbers. So I've, I've always worked in a, a very numbers-heavy uh, environment, industry. Uh, but if you convey that in a story, then actually what happens with, with you and I, if you start to understand that story, we get what's called neurocoupling. And if we were to wire up our brains, I'm going to go off a real tangent now. If we were to wire up our brains and measure this, we would see exactly the same brain patterns happening at the same time, which is neurocoupling. That also means you're more susceptible to the messages that I'm trying to put across. And so this is the importance of telling things in a story. And what you actually find on, on LinkedIn is that the more emotive someone's post is, the more reactions they're, they're getting. Now, there's two ways of thinking about that. Do you really want lots of people to just look at a post or like a post, but you don't have an end goal to get a client off the back of it? Maybe not. It's a vanity metric. 
But that's that's what people do. And they're using it in more of an emotive way. So that storytelling element, they're telling their backstory, how they got from where they are to to where they are now and why that matters to them. Uh, you see a lot of people talking about uh, mental health and how they've had um, uh, been impacted by this and how they've moved through it and how they can help other people as well. So getting those stories across is the important part. The difficult part is understanding the functionalities of a platform like LinkedIn and how you can use them to best suit you and the people you're connected to. But also, this is very much a personal preference, without going down the, here's a brand new word for you, the Facebookification, <laughs> it's a bit of a made up word, the Facebookification of LinkedIn, because I don't think people want that either. You still need to keep those apart. Don't mix your your Friday night with your Monday morning. They still need to be pulled apart. So with that sort of professionalism that you're advocating for LinkedIn, as opposed to the more sort of chatty version of Facebook, mm. How is it that some posts that I write absolutely fly and then others just bomb? So, the, yeah, I mean, all right, we can get into the algorithm on this one then. Um, <laughs> it is partly down to the algorithm. Now, what you'll find is that uh, this is being changed and tweaked all the time. But this often comes down to the strength of the engagement of your network and the quality and the relevance of your post. There are ways of phrasing things to, to get more reactions. Um, again, think back to how LinkedIn make money and then think how your posts are engaging people. If, you, if you're putting in questions that are making people stop and think, that dwell time, dwell time's a, a big thing now within the algorithm. That dwell time means that, again, there's more advertising that could be uh, sold against it because you're there for a period of time. So dwell time's key. Um, if you're putting in these questions, people are stopping their thinking. Uh, there's the the reactions, the the um, what do you call them? The emoticons. There's now there's a number of these, not just the like button. The like is a bit easy. Now I don't have any evidence for this, but the theory would be that if you choose one of the other buttons, that would hold more weight because actually you're spending longer on the platform thinking about it, about what you're going to react to. And if you're spending a little longer reacting, again from an advertising standpoint, is going to work a bit harder for you. So you've got those kind of aspects. That's how it's going to work. Um, if you get to 15 likes within two hours, uh, 15 comments within two hours, and you comment back on all of those within the two-hour window, then it will get evangelized to a, a wider network. There's those kind of aspects. The important thing to think about here, really important thing to think about, what is your measure of success? What defines what makes this work for you? So when you say some are brilliant and some are just absolutely bomb, you could be saying, well, yeah, I've got, I got 10,000 views of this one and I'm happy with that. Uh, but actually the comments and whatever else happened didn't really lead to anything. Or actually on this post, I only have 500 views, but 10 people liked it. Two people have come directly to me to connect. Off of those, I've picked up a client then you kind of look at both of those, measure them side by side and say which one is now more successful for what you're trying to do. So think about those measures of success. That's the key to, to this. Never post anything that goes against your personal or professional brand. So you see some people who are quite controversial because when they're being controversial, people are reacting and it's going wider and wider and wider. To me, that would harm your professional brand. So 
that's that's like clickbait right that's really like clickbait so it, it really depends on your objectives what's your objectives how do you measure success and then how do you best tweak and re reframe your content to suit that really that's it so there's no silver bullet to this it's a learning process and it's about measurement over time and what i'm hearing here is just don't get hung up on the numbers just keep don't posting. get hung up on the numbers no no stick to your brand values stick to what it is that you you know you enjoy doing because of course you could end up if you really get hung up on the numbers you start moving down a path that you don't really want to go to because you're so hung up on the numbers so you have to be very careful about that so i hear a huge amount of passion for this platform and why linkedin well, partly because I've worked there for, for a number of years and I've seen it from the inside. Um, so I do know how it works and I've seen how it's how it's so powerful for for people and how, how they work. But the the one of the big reasons why I'm working with sports people as well is because when I was at LinkedIn, we had uh, a program in the States for people who used to work in the military. Now, this was set up because people leaving the military didn't really know what to do. They didn't have a career. They didn't have a job to go to. They had an awful lot of transferable skills, but they didn't know how to actually move on. And so this kind of struck a chord with me. Um, people going into the army or, or one of the armed forces, they're spending 10, 12 years there. And then thanks very much. Off you go to the big wide world. And it's just not good enough. But there's a lot of organizations that support this. And I started talking to more and more sports people around this subject because the similarities are incredible. You're a commodity to a club. Some clubs you start at the age of seven, eight years old, and you go all the way through to your 30s. And then it's, thanks very much. We've got a younger one coming through now. Off you go. And they just don't know what to do. They don't know, they don't know their purpose either. They don't know their why. So with these people, there's some, some people make a fabulous living monetarily wise out of sport. Not many, some. But even those, when they hang up their proverbial boots, they don't know what to do next. And they end up turning to gambling and infidelity and whatever else, because they just don't know what to do. They, they lose their identity. So they're not, they're not um, the person they were. They're not the sports person they were. They lose their identity. They lose their purpose. Um, I could give you the the analogy of the the ant farm that I once had. This is this is an absolute great moment to throw this in there. So years and years ago, uh, I was working for a for a research company, and uh, I bought a desk toy. This desk toy was a as a an ant farm. It was in a perspex box, and it had this blue gel that you popped inside, so you could see through it. And then I bought twenty Italian fire ants online. The weirdest thing I've ever bought online. They arrived in the post and uh, I popped them all in and you see them tunneling down and it's quite hypnotic and they're building and building and building. And then after about a month, uh, they all just died. And I thought, well, this is slightly disappointing, really, you know, um, and quite sad, even though they're little lads, it's still quite sad. So I just did a little bit of research and it said that uh, if there's no queen, they will just stop because they've got no reason to carry on. They were building and preparing everything for a queen the queen wasn't there. And so they lost their purpose and they just stopped. And it just, it strikes a call with me, even today. What an analogy for life. If you don't have a purpose, you can just stop. There's nothing else to carry on for. So this is why it's absolutely key. And, and this is why it's key for, for sports people who get little support in this area to help them find that next role, help them find that transition from where they are to where they want to be, what do they want to be doing in 10 years time. And then the role that LinkedIn can play in this space to help them move on. And that's, that's why I, I'm quite passionate about it as well.
And how did you find your your calling yourself? How did I find it? Ooh, so this was, I'm, I'm a big boxing fan uh, at football and lots of sports, but I'm a big boxing fan. I used to see a few posts from uh, a guy called Billy Schwer pop up every so often. So I just thought, oh, I'm going to send him a, a connection request and uh, add a little note in there. And he connected straight away. And I thought, oh, like, that's just slightly surprising. You know, he's a big name. He's world champion. This is brilliant. And so I started engaging with him. We started chatting backwards and forwards. And then I, I started asking him about his career and how he moved on from boxing. He phoned me 10 minutes later, which blew me away. Uh, and I got very overexcited about it. And then we started to uh, talk more and more. And I wrote a couple of blogs about him and his purpose and what his journey went through. And he was telling me about how at the top of his career, he was uh, it's lucky he'd hit the, the peak of Everest. But after that, you can't go higher. The only way is down unless you find a new mountain to climb. And he went through depression, he went through divorce, he went bankrupt, he moved back in with his parents. And he had to then break himself down to then find what he wanted to do and then move on himself. And all of this was striking a chord with me. I was thinking about what to do next as well. And then I started talking to some other uh, LinkedIn colleagues and they were saying, yeah, I'm doing a bit of consulting here and a bit of consulting there. I was like, well, why don't we come together and, and start building something here? And that's where it really grew from. And it's, it's just been fantastic since. Wow. So this is where you, you can mix your passion with your vocation, with your mission and your profession and just merge all of those into one and, yeah. and, and go for it. So what would your advice be for people who are thinking, oh, I'd love to do this, but I don't think I can? So... Uh... Wayne Gretzky, he was an ice hockey player. He once said he misses 100% of the shots that he doesn't take. Uh, if you really look into that, if you don't try, you will not know. The things that hold you back, partly fear, fear of failure. But then if you don't try, you're not going to know. And you need to kind of get past this fear of failure um, to understand. And it's not even a failure. It's a learning curve. That's all it is. Um, there's another famous stat around Richard Dyson, who tried over 5,000 times to get his uh, vacuum cleaner as, it, as he wanted it. And he said, they weren't 5,000 failures. They were 5,000 learning curves to get me where I wanted. And now he's one of the most famous billionaires in the world. So clearly that perseverance, but constantly learning, talking to people as well. It's one of the hardest things that I think for people is when you're going solo, when you're going alone, that that sense of isolation, isolation and fear. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if it's going to work. So actually put those together. Maybe I'll just stop and I'll go and do something else. Yeah, but you might be missing out on something. So you've got to keep pushing through that. Talk to people, do your research. Uh, there's lots and lots of networking groups who are very, very supportive that will help you as a startup or they will help you in the areas that you're weakest, whether it's accounting, whether it's business growth, whether it's social media, um, whatever it might be, there's people there that can help support you as long as you're willing to put in the time and effort to really push through it. Well, I think that's that's great advice there. And it's uh, it's certainly shown true for yourself to sort of keep pushing and go alone. And yeah. going alone and leaving a company and setting up your own business, what have been the, the biggest challenges for you? Yeah, so th this isn't my first attempt either. So uh, I left LinkedIn. Can I say this? I can say this. So uh, 
when 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 you start at LinkedIn way back before Microsoft came in, they gave you shares in the company, uh, and those vested after four years. So you found a number of people left after four years to start something up, uh, and I wasn't dissimilar. So I went uh, went alone, started a company, data driven storytelling, which is all about how you convey that story through numbers, data, analytics. Um, relatively successful but i didn't have an end goal i didn't know my vision i didn't set uh my plan out to where i wanted to be and i started to struggle with it i started to really kind of it was getting to me thinking i don't quite know where i'm going with this and actually my um my positioning was not right it was in fact it was when i look back and it can be perceived as quite uh arrogant and obnoxious because what i was kind of saying is that you as a journalist or a, a market researcher or a marketing person or a PR person, you're not actually good enough at doing your job and I can be the solution to it. And no one wants to hear that, um, but that's, that could be the perceived positioning. And it, it kind of started getting me down a bit and it was just me doing it all by myself, no support. I didn't know anything about networking or anything along those lines. And it got to a point I thought, I can't do this. I'm going to go back into industry. And so I did. I went back into industry for a couple of years, um, but I had this this feeling that I still I had something that I wanted to do. And this is where, when I started talking to the likes of Billy Schwer and my ex LinkedIn colleagues, it started coming back together. I kind of said, "Yeah, this is this is where I need to be working." And then uh, I had an email from someone saying, "Did I want to join a networking group?" I said, "It's free. Just come along. Just come and say hello. See what you think." And I said, "Okay, I'll pop along." And they said, "What do you do then? Thirty seconds. Tell me what you do." struggle with the 30 seconds bit uh, <laughs> uh but I, I started saying that I've, I've worked for LinkedIn and this is how I want to help people now and people jumped on it and I thought oh you know that there's something in this uh and maybe I need to tell more people and so it just started to grow and snowball from the back of it and you mentioned right at the beginning that there are a lot of LinkedIn consultants out there, you know, yeah. who, who probably use the platform for five minutes and got their own profile and off they go. Yeah. Uh, but you do have that sort of gravitas behind what you do, having actually worked for them. Yeah. And, and there are some incredible LinkedIn consultants out there as well, yeah. I'd just like to really say. Are. So what is it you're you're doing and do you involve other people in your business now? Yeah. So within. So it's a. Next play is like an alumni, and there's nine of us in this in this group. All of us ex LinkedIn, uh, all with slightly different skill sets. If someone tells you they know everything about LinkedIn, I I'll show you a fibber. Um, I don't know everything. No one in the group knows everything. We all have slightly different skill sets. So, with the um, the recruiter tool, I've used it, but I don't. I wouldn't profess to be an expert. But there's one, there's a person, a lady in the group who works purely on that for seven years. So she knows far more than I. So if there was um, a potential proposal, uh, an RFP to go out in that kind of way, then we would partner up and go in together. So that's how that kind of thing would work. There's another person who worked purely on the ad ops side of things. So the operations of posting ads where people are paying to, to advertise rather than in an organic way. So we've all got these slightly different skill sets but we come together when needed and if there is a big pitch we can go in and work together that sounds awesome and that was next play you say yes correct yeah, yeah. brilliant so what is it that people think linkedin is and actually it's not this i think this again comes back to this jobs platform mm. so when i've spoken to a number of people it depends on where they are in their journey with linkedin when they're coming in at more of the uh 
the early stage of their LinkedIn journey. And well, yeah, I don't know if I need it because um, it's just for the jobs. And so, well, no, it's, it's really not. It's more than that. It's much more than that. Or people say, well, it's just a place to house your digital CV. And it's not that either. It's it's your brand story. It's your career brand story. And it needs to be conveyed in, in a certain way. So there's, there's those kind of differences that come through. There's other people who say, well, LinkedIn's never been any good for me. I've never had a lead from it. And I say, okay, tell me your approach. And when we start looking at the approach, then the approach is all wrong and we can work and modify that. Or the other thing I say to them is, well, how many people are potential leads that have come through your profile and then gone to someone else and worked with them? And of course, the answer is, well, I, I don't know. So right. So if you, you need to optimize everything you're doing and then you can start measuring whether or not it can be a lead generating tool for you. So there's those kind of misconceptions. A lot of people are thinking about their personal brand. Yep. And then they've also got a business brand. Okay. And and a lot of people think they need to distinguish and separate the two, but actually you're still the same person. Yeah. So it's important that you have a company page. If you're if you've got a small business or a a one person company, it's still important to have a company page as well as a personal page because the engagement differs. Um, but there's a there's a flow of your corporate brand that goes from personal to company to website. That's you need that flow really. Um, and I, I, I can talk about how you get your mindset right for this kind of thing. It's important that you are yourself, and it, it depends. If you work for a big company, uh, people are more guarded in the way that they utilize the platform because they're wary of how it may affect their professional brand within that company structure. And I get that, I totally get that. But then there's programs put in place which can get around that as well. Um, one thing's called uh, Elevate, it's a LinkedIn tool. So I, I don't know, choose the angle that you want. I can go down any of those paths. Mm. I think I think when you've got, I mean, I've always been wary of getting a company page because what I do is so intrinsically linked to who I am and, and what I'm doing. I was wondering whether it's worth having a company or even a, a page for the podcast, a page for my property business and having separate ones or or whether essentially you just have your own profile because that covers everything you're doing. It does, but if you if you don't have uh, if you don't have a company page aligned to you, what you'll have is what looks like a broken link on your profile page, and that in itself doesn't look great. So, what you're trying to do, just from a profile point of view, what you're trying to do is convey enough trust that someone wants to take it a step further. So, when they you need to be able to get found on the platform, so you need just certain keywords in certain places and off platform, so it works well with Google. You need to be found, and then once people are there, you need to give them enough information and convey enough trust that they say, yep, actually, I'm gonna pick up the phone, I'm gonna drop them an email or send them a message through LinkedIn, whatever it might be. That's the purpose of it. And if you miss out some of these key ingredients, then other people are a click away, they're gone. So you need to get these sort of things right. The company page side of things, you're never going to get engaged. If you posted something on your personal page and your company page, exactly the same thing, you won't get the same engagement on your company page because people relate to people. They don't relate to a company. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have it. You still need this seamless flow that goes from your personal page, your company page, to your website or wherever it is you want people to go next. So you do need that. Um, 
the company page doesn't have to be necessarily a living, breathing thing because it's to, to get the most value from it, you kind of have to pay. It's a pay to play. You have to sponsor the content within it. But it doesn't mean that you can't put content in there that will be valuable so that when someone does go through that process of looking at your personal page, then into your company, they see what they they need, the information they need, and then they move on. You've also got to think, for a lot of people, what's the um, decision-making journey? What's the buyer's decision-making journey from awareness, scoping, implementation, and et cetera? And do you have the right content to help people move from one stage of that journey to the next stage? So there's lots of different ways you need to think about this. And it all depends on you, your business, what it is that you offer, um, product services, all of these things fit into it and your objectives before you can then build a strategy around it. And you can have multiple pages or just you one? Have multiple pages. Yeah, you can. You can. You can have, uh, you can set them up as completely different company pages. Or if, let's say, um, Let's say for yourself, you, you you set up your company page with these, which is focused on why, but you could have a showcase page, which is just dedicated to the podcasting. So you, you can do things like that. But don't, again, don't get hung up on, on metrics with these things as yet. You know, it, what you want to see is things just improve over time rather than, well, that's not working, so I'm not going to bother anymore. It, but you just need that presence. That's the key to this. That's brilliant. So what's next on the horizon for you, Dan? Oh, what's next? So I'm uh, I'm starting to talk to more governing bodies. So rather than the the individuals who are either going through the process of transitioning, thinking about what they might be doing next, or already have gone through it and they want to find out more about LinkedIn, I'm starting to talk to governing bodies because I want to get in front of those guys and say it's not good enough to not support your the people who are within your sport. And this this kind of training is fundamental. So I, I was working with a former England footballer um, recently, and he said that his governing body they uh, they didn't offer very much other than to say yeah yeah LinkedIn you need to you need to be on that. Well, that's not good enough, is it? I mean, really. So this is where I want to come in. If I can do this at a broader scale, so I'm now starting to think about how do I then scale up from doing the one to ones, which is brilliant because you're dealing on one to one through personal relationship, and that's what it's about, trusted relationships over time. How do you then scale that up so actually I can do this en masse and, and really <laughs> preach the, the good that LinkedIn can do for, for more people? It's only going to serve it better for that for the governing bodies as well to provide a service for their in, the individuals within their sport. So I guess you've, you've already had someone from boxing, you've got someone from football. So taking those case studies, albeit yeah. you know individual case studies, but the more you have, the more sort of credibility you will have and, and proof, to sh- social proof to show them what can yeah. be done. Yeah, that, absolutely. But because, of, of course, what I'm also finding is that there's uh, an element of distrust from people within a sport to those who are not in their sport. And so building a, a bank of these these recommendations and these people you work with who then also almost become your uh, evangelists, they start saying, well, yeah, if you want something to do with LinkedIn, you should go and talk to Dan. That also works really well in, in that situation. But to me, it's about going broader um, and, and making holding these these governing bodies accountable because some and clubs so clubs you, you get um there's a player who tragically tragically took his own life recently only 17 got released from a premiership club 
that was it. He felt life was over. And the clubs have to be more accountable for supporting people, not just in their football or their sporting journey. It's what happens outside of that and what happens after that as well. Yeah, that, that's really sad. And I think, I mean, I, we've had people on the podcast before, got Chanel Paris and Chanel Bernard, who are working with younger children and giving them the future. And Chanel's actually gone into working with Crystal Palace Football Club to work with the academy kids because only 1% of those kids are going to make it into their professional sport. So what, you know, how do they deal with the fallout of all of those children who are think that, that football is going to be their, their life. And then just at the last minute, it's, it's not going to be. And so she's been brought in to run a program where to help them prepare for alternatives, which I think is incredible. And it sounds similar to, to what you're doing from on a, a social media perspective is to, also understand how to build the reputation and a brand and also think about the alternatives from a career perspective what's next absolutely yeah yeah you've hit the nail on the head that's exactly what it is mm. well it's incredibly worthy I think it's you know as you said earlier the purpose is everything and, and without the the queen you know someone behind them someone to support them but show them why they're doing what they're doing and it that's the point of the focus on why is is a lot of people can live without a purpose, you know, that, and, and just sort of muddle along. But when you do have the purpose, it changes your perspective and, and how you are being driven through life it completely shifts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Great. Well, agreed on that one. So that's what's next. And, yep. and how would people get in contact with you, Dan? Well, they could reach out on LinkedIn. There's one way, I guess. Um which would be uh, www.linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Dan Kent Smith, or one word, or uh, email me at dan at uh, nextplay.agency. Uh, either way, um, and just plug my name into into Google and you'll, you'll find me. Perfect. I'll put both of those into the show notes. Lovely. So you can get hold of you. What about some final words from Dan? What would they be? Final words? Oh, I, tell you, I was thinking this just now because... Um, when you said about people who are wary about trying to embark on their own journey and one of the the values from LinkedIn that I I really hold in high regard is take intelligent risks and I think that as just a little phrase take intelligent risks carry that through so if you've got an idea that you think could go somewhere check it think that can you do this can you talk to the right people can you actually push through with this but it is about taking those risks, even though you've got that fear inside and, you know, you're, the butterflies in your stomach, should you do it? Yes, you should do it. Go for it. So take intelligent risks for me is, is absolutely key. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.